Welcome to the Chatter in the Box podcast, where your hosts, Liam Skiffington and Matt Indominico, discuss all things baseball. From breaking news to the latest free agent signings, they'll dive into today's game with some of the top minds from around the league. You can catch the latest episode of the Chatter in the Box podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, or Amazon Music, or visit our website at www.chatterinthebox.com. All right, back. Episode 12, I believe, Chatter in the Box. Uh, My co-host, Matt, unavailable today, unfortunately. But fortunately, we are joined by journeyman, knuckleballer, Baseball lifer, Mickey Janice. Mickey, how how you doing today, man? Yep, all those things. Good, good. To ha- Thanks for having me on. Absolutely appreciate you taking the time. So, Mickey, you you've had an incredible baseball journey so far. What what made you fall in love with the game to start? Um, just being around it all the time growing up. Uh, my dad was a coach of all sports. Uh, my mom loved baseball. My just she's kind of in our in our family that uh loved baseball and um just being around the game with my dad i think and everything i remember as a kid revolved around baseball for whatever reason and whether that being a bad boy throwing the ball against the wall like playing wiffle ball like everything so just uh just started at a very young age as far back as i can remember when did you first uh truly lean into pitching um i always pitched growing up um, never my number one priority, but I was always a pitcher, um, played a position too. I was an infielder, um, shortstop pitcher on every team I played on. And then, um, as I got older, um, I think it was probably my junior college years where I was really like, all right, I really think pitching is going to be the way. And I was a two-way player trying, still trying to be a two-way player um, in junior college and just kind of took off that year as a pitcher. And that's kind of when I was like, this is probably the route it's going to take me to the next level. So um, just started concentrating on that in junior college. Got it. So you focused on pitching in junior college. You surely weren't focused solely on the knuckleball in junior college. Tell me a a little (laughs) bit about how that developed. Yeah, I mean, I I always kind of threw it. I messed around with it when I was 12 or 13, probably, and uh, watched a special on Tim Wakefield on Fox Sports Net, um, my hometown. And um, I used to throw it with three fingers, and then I switched to two fingers after watching the um, that special. And then um, went out the next day and just went out and chucked it and threw it as hard as I can, and it was nasty and just kind of came along naturally. And then, you know, obviously the, the more um, I started throwing it in pro ball, um, just trying to get the feel of the strike zone and all that kind of stuff is where that kind of learned. But um, again, like 12 or 13, started throwing it and never really threw it in games, um, just messing around or after catch play, you know, I'm like, this is my catch partner. Here's 10 knuckleballs and just kind of developed it that way. And then um, just kind of stuck with it and kept it in my back pocket to when I needed it. So you were drafted in 2010, Mickey. What was your first experience in pro ball like? Uh not not as much of what um, glam and glory that people expect uh, once you get drafted. You know, I got drafted by the Tampa Bay Rays and everybody's like, oh, I love Tampa Bay. It's such a great place. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to Princeton, West Virginia. 
you know, a town of 2,000 people and, and um, just a small town. There was one hotel where we lived at. Um, you know, there was a McDonald's, there was an Applebee's, uh, there was a strip club. There was That was like it in this small town. And pretty much all the small towns that we went to and traveled to was the same. You know, there was just like not a lot of people in the area. And um, it was just, it was just a eye-opening experience. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I ever really expected what, what I expected it to be like, but um, it was just, you know, just that small town feel. Yep. So you're in the Rays organization for a few years, doesn't really end up working out for you. Then you finally get introduced into introduced to independent league ball. What are the main differences? I don't even think our audience really knows a ton about like independent leagues, the Atlantic League. Yeah. What are the main differences between affiliated ball and independent league like that? Yeah. Um it was it was always something that was on my mind because I was drafted so late. I was drafted in the 44th round, you know, it's not even around anymore. And um so I had a couple of scouts reach out to me where it's like if you don't get drafted, like what's your plan? And I'm like probably go play independent ball. Um I had a cousin that pitched in the big leagues and then he ended up playing in the Atlantic League a little bit. So I kind of knew the journey of um independent ball a little bit of what what it was about and uh I knew that was an option before I got drafted and then um you know, once I got released, I was like, I'm going there and then kind of made the decision to switch the knuckleball then. But independent ball is just a place where, you know, the minor leagues, you have seven levels or now you have five levels of, of one organization. So it's like the Orioles have five teams below them. And then independent ball, it's like that team is the big league team. Like it's the only team. So it's it's really all about winning and just competing with uh, 25, 30 guys on your team. And that's who you got. And, you know, if you need a guy, you kind of go find somebody who's a free agent. And, you know, there's no like, oh, you've been injured for two weeks. Like, you better go on a rehab assignment. No, it's like you're kind of like we need you ready to go when you're ready, you know. So it's it's just like there's that one team and you just – it's all about winning. You, you know, you're just trying to go out there and win. Yeah. So it's more winning centric rather than uh, developmental. Five, yeah. yeah. Developmental. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So Mickey, what also I think a lot of people don't know is that the Atlantic league that you're in with the high point rockers right now is actually a partner league with MLB, which in some sense of the word means that MLB tests their potential new rules in your league. Yeah. And I wanted to go over a few of them with you as you, you're probably one of the few with firsthand experience of it. The first one is the designated pinch runner. Have you been able to see this work in games? What is your opinion on it? What is your uh, like teammates' reaction to it? Yeah, I mean, it, it hasn't had a real effect on any games, really. Um, I've actually been labeled the designated pinch runner a couple times just because we've been short on position guys, so... You know, using a pitcher that has experience of like running the bases, like I played the Mets organization, so I, I had to hit and, you know, handle a bat, run the bases kind of thing. So I kind of have an idea of that. So, but, um, you know, some teams have used it more than others. We haven't really used it too much. We had a guy get like, he got hit in the foot um, on one at bat. So then we threw in the pinch runner for him, you know, to give him a little break. And then he went back on defense, you know, so it's just like little things like that, that were able to like help us. But 
like I said, we haven't used it too much. There's a couple of situations where like you get get the pinch runner called in and you you can kind of see him at first base. He's just like itching to steal. So it's, you know, it, it kind of works, you know, sometimes they've been safe, sometimes they've been out, you know, it, but like I said, it hasn't really had a huge effect on the outcome of the games. What do you think about um the in within that rule, like the player who's pinch ran for is allowed to go back in on defense afterwards? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really have, I don't think anybody's really thought of it too much, just because it hasn't had that real effect on the game, and and because it's only being able to be used once during a game, it's not really, you know, effective too much. You know, I mean, like I said, I mean, it might, it might change a game, like in the playoffs or something like that, where you can throw in a guy in the third inning to steal a base, or you know, he might score from first on a double or whatever. Whereas, like a say somebody slower wouldn't be able to obviously and then you know being able to insert him and say like later in the game as an actual substitution you know so he gets to steal maybe another base or you know cause cause something like that so I mean in a in the length of a full season I don't see it affecting too much but you know game five of a playoff series you know it could have an effect on something Absolutely. So also, Mickey, another rule within the Atlantic League that you're probably more a little in tune with is the one disengagement per at bat on the mound, right? Yeah, yeah. How has what I'm not sure when that rule was officially implemented, but how did you adjust to that once it was? Um, yeah, that one, that one is pretty, pretty well known, um, throughout the league. And it, I think it does have an effect on those speedsters that are on the bases because as soon as, you know, um, there's a disengagement. So like we had a situation in our game, um, where we were, we had runners on first and third and the pitcher picked off the first one time when didn't get him safe, no big deal. And so that's one disengagement. So the second disengagement, he has to get the runner out or both runners get to move up a base. And what we did was we actually had our guy on third sprint towards home like he was stealing home. Everybody on the infield, you know, step off, step off. So he stepped off and our guy just jogs back to third. Nothing happens. Everybody's like, oh, okay, nothing happened. But it was like, that was the second disengagement. Bach, runner scores, guy goes to second. So it's like, we got to run out of it. So it's like, you can kind of use it to your advantage that way, which again is kind of the point of it to see how it plays out. But obviously if you're the pitcher in that situation, like in a real game situation like that we've had in the past, it's like, okay, no big deal. But in that, like it's an earned run that counts against you. So you know, it does have a huge effect on games like that. Um, and we actually were losing at the time. So we came back and won that game. So, I mean, you know, that little run, you know, it makes a difference. And, and you know, every time somebody steps off or picks over each dugout or depending on who it is, is yelling like, that's one, that's one. And all the umpires, like, make sure they know. And, you know, so it does, that one does have an effect on, on a lot of, uh, on a lot of at-bats. And same thing too, you know, you get a guy in first base, you pick over once who's fast and pretty much like next pitch, they're, they're getting a big lead and they're taking off just because you haven't seen as many pickoffs. And especially the second time, like you, you really haven't seen a guy pick over two times yet. So too often, like we've had a couple, um, I think where a guy picks over the first, like the second time and just kind of like loses it, like long at bat and then picks over again. And it's like, Oh shoot, I forgot that was the same at bat, you know, mm-hmm. so it's kind of like that situation, but you know, so it does, it does have an effect a little bit. Got it. So also Mickey on your team, if you're on the mound one day and you don't make it five innings, 
you guys lose your DH, right? Yeah. That has to be terrible, right? It, I mean, it does. It makes it tough, um, you know, because you really don't want to force a guy to go five innings, obviously. There's some games where, you know, you have to battle through five innings and, you know, your pitch count gets up there. And we have a we have a really good staff on our on our on our team or for our team that really takes care of the pitchers. So we really don't care um, about losing the DH as much as some of the other teams where they're like, you will go five innings. It doesn't matter. Like they're going to run you out there for five, no matter what. And uh, we've had that a couple times. And again, it's, it, it comes into play. It's, it's part of our game. Like there's no way around it. So you kind of just got to deal with it. And honestly, I've gotten one at bat because of it. A couple other pitchers have gotten an at bat because of it, you know, so it, it is what it is. And, you know, like I said, sometimes it's frustrating because there are some days where you're like, you know, we we need a bullpen day or like we have a double header. So you need a bullpen day, but it's like you need to go five innings. And, you know, some days you just need that length. And then other days you, you don't have that length. So it's just it's just the way it goes. And, you know, you see that in, in the big leagues or in the minor leagues where there's bullpen days for double headers, and, you know, a day when a starter gets called up, it's like, Hey, everybody's got one inning today. And it's like, that, that wouldn't be really possible because then, you know, you're running through your bench and losing the DH and things like that. So, so being in the independent leagues, Mickey, I'm not too sure how this works. Maybe you can shed some light on it. So if somebody wanted your, if a major league team wanted your contract, do you have to play out the rest of this season or can they just purchase your contract from the Rockers and then you're uh, good to go? Yeah. So we have uh, buyouts in our contract from um, affiliated teams and it's really any team like a team from Mexico can buy you out a team from Japan, Korea, Taiwan, you know, affiliated baseball, like you said, they can, they can uh, buy you out at any time. Um, it's just whether or not they, they see the, um, financial um, investment in you to to buy out the contract. And we've had, I think, four or five guys get picked up by affiliated teams so far this year. And, you know, that's everybody's goal that's here is to keep playing and then get picked up by an affiliated team. So um, there is that possibility. And that's, that's what everybody's end goal is, especially as far as our team is concerned. I know that, um, you know, we're all playing to get back to the next level. Some of us have major league experience and we're trying to get back there, obviously. And then other guys are never played affiliated ball and they're trying to get over there. What are those talks in the clubhouse and on the field like amongst the guys who have had major league experience and now find themselves in the independent leagues? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely an eye-opening experience for some guys because, you know, especially guys who never really had to deal with independent ball growing up or anything like that. Um, you get guys who come to independent ball and they're like, well, I'm just going to go play with these guys and, and dominate and I'll be out of here in like a week, you know, and these guys can't really be able to play. And then they get here and they, they really get buried, some of those guys, because they're like, oh, wait, these guys are actually good and some of them have major league experience, you know, and, you know, you're still competing against those guys and they're competing against you. And if you're not ready to play every day, like it is a tough league. Like, yeah, I mean, on any, on any day, like we're as good as some triple A teams. Like we have, we have probably upwards of 10, 11 guys with major league experience and some guys who used to be t top prospects and, you know, some guys who were top prospects got injured or, you know, even in college too, like you get a good college kid and then they get injured. Like, Affiliated teams kind of get turned off by that sometimes. So it's whether or not they're getting another opportunity through through independent ball. So Mickey, a couple minutes ago, you mentioned your uh, training staff with uh, how they work with your pitchers. We actually had R.A. Dickey on a few months ago on the show. And one thing I did not ask him about was the arm care routine for knuckleballers, because it surely has to be different than uh, like a <laughs> high, uh, high, 
hard throwing closer um that's thrown one inning right um not necessarily i mean everybody has their own unique little programs you know you see a lot of guys use driveline or those tread programs now like i uh i trained with uh eric cressy a lot um the last few years um on their remote program but um i've kind of just done my own things and you know i've been playing for 14 years now so i've kind of just picked up things along the way things that i felt like i liked some that are my arm responded well to um workout programs that i liked and just kind of stuck with what I felt like was was good along the way and just kind of developed a routine that way and other guys are kind of the same way so some of our exercises are the same some of them different I don't think I really do anything in particular that would be just like four knuckleballers you know um because in the end we're all pretty much training the same muscles you know back of the shoulder forearm elbow um you know so it's it's all pretty much the same just different little types of workouts Mm -hmm. mickey so 14 years in professional baseball you just reiterated to me what's the number one lesson that you've learned so far during your career (laughs) number one lesson i don't know if there's just one that sticks out but um i just always tell people like if you want to be successful in this game like you got to have confidence in yourself um you got to go out there and believe in yourself because if you don't believe in yourself then nobody else really can because really it is your career and all about you. So you got to have that confidence going in from day one that you can get the job done. And, you know, and, and really that's kind of the way I've taken it um, throughout the whole year. Like when I was, or my whole career and uh, you know, when I was first started in independent ball and I got drafted, um, drafted release. And then I switched to the knuckleball. Like when I would throw my knuckleball, I always felt like I had a big league knuckleball, you know, and that's why still playing today is because I feel like I can still pitch in the big leagues and be successful with my knuckleball. So it's, it's um, really the, the only thing that keeps me going right now. I mean, I do love the game, but um, you know, I want to play as long as I can. On the topic of success, Mickey, you're currently like among the league leaders in wins and strikeouts in your league right now. What's been working for you this year um, that hasn't really you haven't really felt in years past? Um, I just in a really good spot uh, mechanically and and just been able to pound the zone with a knuckleball and really just challenging hitters to uh, to put the ball in play. And um, you know, like after 2021, um, I made my debut and then going back to the minor leagues, I kind of lost feel of my knuckleball. And um, just last year, midway through the year, kind of lot kind of got that feel back going into last year like I said halfway through the year and um, just been able to keep that rolling into this year and just like I said just uh, kind of hit the reset button after after midway through last year and was able to uh, go throw with uh, Charlie Hop a little bit just to kind of like I said reset kind of get the feel back kind of went over a couple little things and it just just reset my whole mindset and came out here and um, was able to work with a good coaching staff I had our pitching coach is Frank Viola and I had him for a year with the Mets and um, I threw really well with him and and um, just kind of got comfortable back with him and just kind of like let me let me do my thing and and uh, just got that knuckleball feel back and really just pounding the zone with it. That's really what you got to do is just attack hitters with it because if you get timid with that pitch, um, it's really hard to be successful. And that's that's the whole thing back back to going back in my confidence with it. Um, I don't know if I ever really lost my confidence with it in 2021, 2022, but um, just been able to go out and just just challenge hitters um, and really uh, trust my stuff again. What's it been like for you working with uh, someone like Charlie Huff? Um, It's been good. He's been a good uh, source to have. Um, You know, I exchange some text messages with him every now and then and, you know, just being able to, to, 
talk with other guys who are kind of going through what I've gone through because there really hasn't been too many of us, obviously. And um, just kind of, you know, throw some ideas off him on like what I was going through and talking to him about a couple little things here and there. And um, so he's been a been a good source to have um, backing me up. And uh, yeah. The knuckleball really is like a, if you haven't thrown it, you don't really know about it type situation. And like you just said, there's not a lot of people who have successfully thrown it. So my question for you, Mickey, is in games, what are catchers, what are pitching coaches saying to you? Um, a lot of the times when I just get like uh, out of sync or, um, you know, there might be something mechanically that I'm doing that's off. Just because with the knuckleball, you really do have to be perfect mechanically. Otherwise, it'll throw off the rotation just just enough to cause enough rotation to get hit because you are throwing a pitch 75 to 80 miles an hour. That's, you know, I'm really trying to throw it through the catcher's mask and let it dance and do its thing and miss bats. So, um, if your mechanics are off just a tiny bit, like it's going to rotate and then it's going to be predictable. And the, the thing about the knuckleball is being unpredictable for everyone. So, um, just little, little tips mechanically, maybe that they might say, you know, whether it's a long inning, giving me a mental break, um, you know, same type of stuff that conventional pitchers go through, but just a little more extreme because my pitch is a little bit more hittable if it's not perfectly thrown. Mm-hmm. So with the knuckleball, there's a ton of feel as we've been talking about these last 25 minutes. Have you ever had an experience on the mound where you felt it like great, but it's just dancing way too much and you can't find the zone? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, there are days like that when you're like, I really have no idea where this is going. So you're, you're really just trying to control it in the zone. And that's, that's really what happened at the beginning of, of throwing the knuckleball is because like before I would just go out and just throw it as hard as I can. doesn't matter. You know, if you're playing catch with someone, you can just throw it and it doesn't matter where it goes, but then you're like, Oh, there's a hitter standing in there. Somebody's calling balls and strikes. Like I have to throw it in the strike zone. Otherwise they'll just sit there and take, 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 you know? So, um, just being able to control it in the zone, but yes, there are those days when you have no idea which direction it's going to move. And, you know, obviously I've thrown it for so long now, like I have an idea of like where I want it to go. Um, it does have a mind of its own still, but I have an idea of which direction it's going to break based off the location I want to throw it in. Um, so there are days when it's going other directions and I'll be like, I was trying to throw it on this side of the plate all day and I kept going to this side and I was really successful. And then other days you're like, I was throwing it right where I wanted to, but I got hit around. And it's just one of those pitches where it's like some days it, it works, some days it doesn't, but you know, you just got to be able to fill up the strike zone with it. Mm-hmm. Um, Mickey, so you've been on so many teams. I don't know if you know off the top of your head how many teams you've been on. I would guess professionally 10, 12. Uh, um, at least, I would think, yeah. Okay, yeah, exactly. So I would have to imagine that when you walk into a new clubhouse, catchers must like run away from you, right? <laughs> uh, I do get that effect on some people, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's pretty funny, but there's always catchers that embrace me as well. You know, um, when I was with the Orioles, um, I had a catcher, Brett Cumberland. It was like, he embraced it. He's like, I'll catch you, like, whatever. Because the bottom bottom line is if, if we get comfortable throwing to each other and say, I do go back to the big leagues or, you know, when I was with the Orioles and gets comfortable, it's like, this guy can catch me. This guy, you know, it might give him that opportunity. And you saw it forever with Doug Mirabelli with Tim Wakefield and Josh Tolley with uh, R.A. Dickey, you know. It was like, he got traded to the to the uh, Blue Jays and it was like, Josh Tolley's going with him because he catches him and you know Josh Tolley got good good amount of service time in the big leagues because of R.A. Dickey a lot of the time so you know it does it does work in their favor as well 
So when you're throwing a bullpen, what kind of specific cues are you looking for um, in terms of feedback to let yourself know like you're, these pitches are good other than obviously it dancing through the strike zone? Yeah, um, a lot of it is just like late movement. So I'm really looking for like a lot of late catches from the catcher because, you know, I think people's perception of the knuckleball is that they need to drop the ball for it to be like nasty, which is good. But there are some days where it's like, it's not coming out as good, but the catcher still struggles with it sometimes just because of the nature of the pitch. So um, I'm just looking for a lot of late catches. And I'd say probably catcher might miss like three to four in a bullpen session. And like I said, yesterday I pitched and, you know, I don't think he missed any, you know, he was catching the ball good, but you know, again, a lot of late flinches. And then the really tell, tell thing is in games is swings and misses and um, miss hits from hitters. So um but those are those are pretty much the the biggest cues that I'm looking for um especially from the catcher and then of course all the time catcher misses one and you get everybody watching your bullpen who starts laughing so they're like you know in the background everybody's like oh my god did you see that pitch move you know and I'm like trying to take it serious in my bullpen but it's hard not to get a chuckle sometimes you ever have a teammate just like watch one of your bullpens and then kind of almost like challenge you like I want to face you and see if I can hit you <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. There are some guys who are like on my team. They're like, I really want to face you. I want to face you. And then other guys like, I want nothing to do with you. If you're pitching that day, I want to be out of the lineup and I want nothing, especially in uh, spring training is kind of fun because you're facing a lot of inner squads and facing your own guys. So you get guys who are like, oh yeah, I want to, I want to face you. I want to face you. And then like I said, other guys are like, I don't want you to mess with my swing. I don't know how to approach you in the batter's box. So it's, um, it's a lot of fun sometimes, but, um, you know, again, it's something that a lot of, a lot of guys play an entire baseball career and they never face a knuckleballer. So, um, some guys like the challenge of it. Other guys don't. Let's rewind Mickey almost two years ago to the date you were called up to Baltimore to face, um, Houston on that day. Give me the rundown of what that day was like for you for like the moment you woke up till the moment you went to bed that night when you got uh, the call. I'll try. Um, I just remember uh, waking up pretty early, like a normal day. Um, it was a day after an off day. Um, and uh, just got back from like getting breakfast downstairs. I think I was staying in the, I was living in the hotel in Norfolk and uh, got a phone call from my manager. Um, I had a kind of figured what it was just because the manager doesn't really call you unless it's really good news or really bad news. Usually if it's something like pitching rotation wise, it's from the pitching coach. So just answer the phone. And he just said, uh, it was Gary Kendall. And he was just like, I, I really wish I could tell you this in person right now, but um, the Baltimore Orioles are buying your contract and you're going to be headed up to Baltimore here shortly. Um, congratulations. This is well-deserved. Um, go up there, be yourself, do your thing and, and, um, best of luck to you kind of thing. So then hung up with him. He was like the travel people are, everybody's going to call you, get you squared away. I'm like, all right, great. Hung up with him, immediately called my wife, told her while I was on the phone with her, uh, travel people called me. So I was like, I gotta go. And then talked to them, hung up with them. And then I started calling everybody else before I called my wife back again. And she's like, what's going on? I'm like, sorry. I'm just going like a million miles an hour. I'm throwing stuff in my suitcase. 
you know, I'm supposed to head to the airport in like two hours. So I was just getting everything together and then uh, just hopped on the plane and, you know, uh, got to the field, you know, got everything squared away. And it was just, you know, just trying to take it all in just because it took me so long to get up there, trying to look around, get a feel for everything, meet new people. Um, Like I said, just take it all in and also understand that got to get ready to pitch that day just in case. And, and um, I think it was good that I did get um, one full game in before I made my debut. I think that helped a little bit, but um, kind of helped you refocus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Helped calm the nerves a little bit, you know, going into game two and then um, kind of just watching the situation, the game play out going into game two and kind of realizing that it was probably going to be me that I was going to be pitching. Um, so just, you know, just trying to stay ready and for when my call my name. Mm-hmm. Not the not the best played game by Baltimore in general that day, Mickey, but you did accomplished something great, made it to the major leagues. You also struck out Jordan Alvarez. What was that moment like for you? Where's that ball now? <laughs> it is uh, sitting at home um, in a case. Um, yeah, it was just, uh, just again, just, just trying to take it all in. But at the same time, like, you know, when I was warming up and, you know, trying to, trying to stay under control and be under control. And, and um, I just remember getting in there, getting to the mound and noticing, um, you know, I never really listened to the PA announcers announce anything or whatever. Um, but for whatever reason, when I was warming up, I did hear the PA announcer go like now making his major league debut, Mickey Janis, you know, and that's when it kind of like hit me, like had to step back off the mound for a second and then like get back on there and like finish my warm up pitches. And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, let's go. You know, when you got called up, Mickey, and all the travel people were calling you to coordinate and stuff like that. Did someone call you and say, what song do you want to come out to? (laughs) Um, I don't think they did. I honestly don't remember. That's something that would be like taken care of when I got to the stadium. Um, But I don't think that was that was part of it until I got to the stadium. Do you remember what song it was? I don't remember the song. I don't even remember if they asked me, but I usually walk out to uh, Lose Yourself by Eminem. So that's usually my my walkout song. Mm Mm-hmm. Good. Love it. Um, Mickey, so you seem like just a super laid back, like regular guy. What do you do outside of baseball? Oh, uh, yeah, I do get that a lot from people where you're just like, you're so even keel all the time. Yeah. You have like you have. I will say maybe it's a knuckleball thing. Maybe it's not. You have a very R.A. Dickey vibe about you. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like you kind of have to have that for, for being a knuckleball just because it's such a chaotic pitch all the time that you kind of just got to, you know, live in the moment and just like, you know, kind of just be relaxed all the time. Because if you're if you're too high or too low with it, man, it's going to be tough to tough to control that pitch. But um, yeah, I mean, outside of baseball, I'm just I mean, right now, every minute outside of baseball is usually trying to um just keep up with my daughter three three and a half year old daughter running around the house um obviously during the season she she doesn't travel with me during the season but um you know in the off season i'm usually chasing her around or doing some other kind of activity play a lot of pickleball um you know watch some tv shows with my wife uh travel a lot and um yeah, I mean, that's pretty much most of my time. But like I said, with a three and a half year old, and um, that's, uh, that's a lot of the time. So one of the elements of baseball that not a lot of people understand unless they've actually played at your level, Mickey, is you guys are away from your families for six, eight months out of the year. What's that like for you guys? Like you just said, you have a three and a half year old little daughter running around at home. Like, 
I don't even know what kind of question I'm trying to ask other, yeah. other than like, how, how do you deal with that? And how does your family deal with that? I know it's, it's, uh, it's definitely tough sometimes. Um, a lot of the time, <laughs> um, especially when you're not at the field, just because like you're at home and, um, you're just kind of sitting here by yourself a lot of the time. Like, um, but it's just, I don't know, just being around baseball forever. It's just kind of like, part of the territory so you kind of understand it more now and you know it's something that you have a conversation early on with your significant other like I always told my wife like you know I play baseball for a living like I'm going to be gone most of the time and she understood that and luckily if you know I met her and she loves to travel check out new places so she's uh she's loved it along the way and you know it's definitely tough tougher on them I think than it is for us just because we are playing baseball every day every day you know and and um you know there are some days that are tougher than others um but uh it comes with the territory so we understand that and obviously our wives and Nick and others I know it's daughter doesn't really understand that yet you know a lot of times she's like I miss you are you coming home you know that, that really makes it tough it's gotta but, hit uh, you in the yeah, heart yeah. yeah absolutely but um um you know it's just again it's part of the territory and you know and and that's what makes you know when I met my wife I was an independent ball before and that also makes what makes it special is that um, when I met her, I actually got picked up by the Mets. So I was able to like share it with her. And obviously get called the big leagues. My daughter was there. She was there. So it makes the journey pretty special along the way, but it, it definitely has some tough times. How long have you and your wife been together and what's the meeting story? <laughs> uh, we met online in uh, 2015. So nice. Um, got married in 2017 so we just celebrated our fifth anniversary in november and uh so three and a half year old daughter and got another one on the way actually so it's uh, congratulations when's the due date uh not until uh october mid-october so okay uh, all right another, we'll play off baseball action yeah play off baseball or off season hopefully but uh but yeah so. <laughs> well mickey as we wrap up here um, and we appreciate your time so much. 35 years old, independent league baseball. You've been up and down, major leagues, overseas. You've, you've done it all pretty much. Why are you still playing? What keeps Mickey Janice going? I mean, instead of the beginning, I mean, I, I love the game. I love to compete. Um, I still truly believe I can pitch in the major leagues and get back there. Um, had some connections um, this offseason that I made that want to follow my progress this season. So hopefully they're paying attention and I've been throwing the ball really well lately. And I, like I said, I still believe I can pitch. And like I said, my family's behind supporting me that I can still do it. And, um, you know, like I said, I love the game. I love the chess match pitching and pitcher hitter you know and uh you know i just feel like i want to keep pitching as long as i can um and i think that's the beauty of the knuckleball is that you know i'm 35 years old um ari dickey signed a minor league deal with the mets at 35 by 37 he's a cy young award winner you know so mm -hmm. you know it's a little bit different story obviously but um you know we all have our crazy journeys as knuckleball pitchers and you know like i said i still truly believe that i can pitch in the major leagues and you know if that doesn't work out hopefully somebody overseas or you know, even just getting the opportunity.
opportunity to pitch in the minor leagues again, you know, like still chugging along and still believe I can do it. So, you know, and I feel like as a knuckleballer, you can pitch till you're 45, 50 years old. I mean, that's what most of them do anyway. So, you know, if I get there, you know, I'm 35, I can still pitch another 10 years if, if, if it goes that way. So kind of playing out this year, seeing how it goes and so far so good. Absolutely. So you said a couple teams reached out to you in the beginning of the year just to say they're monitoring your progress. I didn't even really know that was allowed slash just a thing in general. So they just call you and they're just like, hey, we like loved what you did last year. Just so you know, we're going to keep an eye on you this year. And um, maybe we can yeah, work it's something just kind of like a free agency type thing. So it's like you're, you're a free agent right now, basically, but obviously with an independent ball team. So they just like another, you know, part of minor league baseball is that, you know, they can track your progress. Obviously that you're not under contract with a team for affiliated ball or anything, but it's a way just for them to track your progress. And that's another thing that's great about independent ball is that, you know, they're able to like, instead of just sitting at home, like you have a place to play and progress and show teams that you can still pitch or hit or whatever you're position you play so that's uh, another thing that's great about independent ball and you know it's a lot of teams like I don't try out they have like uh, tryouts in the offseason for like independent ball teams mm-hmm. um, the Royals had like a independent ball workout for so there was you know probably 80 90 guys from independent ball teams all over the country that got invited to this workout and then they watch you and then you know they can either sign you in the workout or they're like hey we'll track your progress during the season and if something opens up with a roster spot then you know we might go for for you or someone else and that's part of the reason you know four or five guys from our team have signed already and you know, hopefully it's uh, at least a few more before the end of the season. So the Royals are one of the teams that have told you they were interested before the season? Uh, yeah, because I, I did, like I said, I did have a workout with them and um, threw really well at the workout. And, you know, obviously they said their rosters were full at the time, but they're tracking my progress and, you know, if something happens. And, but, yeah, there was four, five, six teams, a couple teams overseas, Asia. So, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, you never know who's watching in the stands. And, you know, that's how I got picked up by the Mets in the first place. I was just thrown well in the Atlantic League. And all of a sudden, one day I walked in the clubhouse after a game and the manager's like, hey, we need to talk to you and walk in there and the GM's in there. And they're like, hey, uh, the minor league director for the New York Mets wants to talk to you. And uh Oh, here we go. Like another opportunity. So that's it's kind of what you're hoping for again. And, you know, hopefully, like I said, four or five guys have gotten it so far and hopefully I'm next or if not me, hopefully someone else. Absolutely. Well, we hope the best for you, Mickey. We'll be following you the rest of the season. But before we go, I see that hat you're wearing right there. Tell me a little bit about that. I believe it says knuckle down. Yeah, it's just uh it's a logo that my my wife and father-in-law kind of created. Um, my wife had me take a picture of a of a grip, um, and then my father-in-law owns a sporting goods store, and he was able to like make it a screen print and do a, a heat press with it, and he actually made it on a t-shirt as well. Um, just kind of a, a nice little slogan with obviously the knuckleball grip. So that's my actual grip of the knuckleball, which is pretty cool. And then he was able to make it into the the, the new style now, or these trucker hats with the little like 3D logo on it. So it's mm-hmm. kind of pretty cool. And just a slogan of just, you know, just kind of getting after and knuckle down and, you know, and uh, got the knuckleball with it. So it just kind of just kind of fit. And my wife actually made it a couple years ago and then she made it in a T-shirt for her. And then I finally got one a couple years ago and guys have been telling me like, you should sell that, you should sell that. So this off season kind of put it together and kind of started to, starting to sell some apparel with it. And, you know, the knuckleball has a huge following of, of fans 
fans just because it's not seen every day. So um, you get some you get some big fans out there that that love knuckleball pitchers, and you know everybody's loves to see it. You know it's always you know um, it's always put on a show because literally like I go to throw a bullpen in front of all these guys, and they're like, oh my god, I've never seen a knuckleball before, and they're just like lined up behind my bullpen just to to see it because you don't see it very often. So it's always um, just a just a cool part about baseball and. I don't know if I've ever met somebody who doesn't like watching a knuckleball. So um, just a just a cool thing to do, and then got some apparel to to start try and sell, and so yeah, absolutely. Well, an amazing story, Mickey. Amazing gear, actually. Where can we get that gear? Um, I have a link to an online store through my uh, father-in-law's uh, sporting goods store that. I can share with you and then um yeah they can create their own shirts they have like uh we have regular t-shirts we have sweatshirts we have uh women's clothing kids clothing and then so we just started selling the hats too um and then yeah we have like the the regular cotton tees we have like the dry fit sporty sport tees um but yeah yeah pretty cool stuff Sweet. Okay. We'll add, we'll add that link in the show notes for sure. Mickey Janice, thank you so much for your time today. We're looking forward to watching you the rest of the season with High Point, hopefully somewhere else as well. And best of luck moving forward. We'll All talk right. soon. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you.